I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Are you ready then? I'm ready. Hello and welcome to Gaze on Film. This podcast is where we, a pair of gays, talk about what we're watching. I am Ned. It's <laughs> reading the script then, I nearly went. I am Ned. I am Declan. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about In From The Side. Now, remember, before we get into it, there is probably going to be a few spoilers. Um, so take that as a warning and proceed with caution. We've actually got our first guest spot in today um we've done an interview with the director of in from the side matt carter um so we'll be playing that for you in just a little while we will it's very exciting but first i'd like to know what you've been up to with your week what have i been up to um so when we're recording this the day after the queen's funeral so we were watching that yesterday yeah um, been a bit of a weird time, I think, because of it all. Um, I remember on on the Friday, I was like messaging people like, "Have a good bank holiday weekend," but it felt like weird to say, mm. "Have a good one." Mm. Um, I would like to say that's made me have the extra weekend made me have loads of time to watch extra films and telly, but I don't think it did. Do you know? I only got one extra film in. So we've got, we saw the film that we're going to discuss. Yeah. And I think that's all. Oh, well, the I only think other, that's all I've seen. Only other one I've watched or had time to watch is Do Revenge on Netflix. Which is, I didn't watch it with you, but apparently it's quite good. I quite enjoyed it. It felt quite like a, a timely rehash of the Mean Girls type storyline yeah. with a fun little twist. Um, and it's essentially just a who's who of Netflix actors, really. Um, but if that's what you're into, listeners, then give it a watch. I thought it was quite all right. We watched, well, we're watching Frozen Planet 2, which I know isn't cinematic. Well, it is cinematic, but it's, it's a documentary. absolutely stunning. Though, Loving it. it. Um, I am also watching House of the Dragon, of course, still. Yeah. Which I am adoring. Um, Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power... I'm watching without you. I'm not up to date, but it's... Oh, I thought you watched it last night. I fell asleep again. Oh. I know. So, that's not an indication of the quality. Just was tired. I tried to watch things at one o'clock in the morning when I should just go to sleep. Mm. Um, and then, She-Hulk, are we, are we enjoying that still? Yeah, quite enjoying it. It's I'm getting to a point where I see you. I'm thinking now, it's got loads of content coming out. You don't really have to see everything anymore. Like, especially yeah. on TV, I think oh. if you if you see the films and then if you dip in and out of the TV shows that you think you'll like the look of, then I think you're all right. Probably sussed. Are we going to do a She-Hulk episode at some point or not bother? 
You know this, I'm trying to work out how to do telly because... Well, I thought we were going to do like a, a what we're hoping for and then when it's finished airing, what we thought. Well, we didn't do a, a what are we hoping for though. We did the trailer then. We did. Which um, is all you can really get for a what we're hoping for. So the next step, one of the next episodes after this one is going to be Andor, but that's because there's a three episode premiere so we can watch three and then kind of see where it's going and where Exciting. it's at. So I'm still trying to work out how we do telly. In the future, I feel like if there's a show that we absolutely adore, we might even do like weekly little bonus episodes on that. Yeah, maybe. But we'll see. But have you been up to much, Charles? Oh, gosh. Um... We haven't recorded for a while. We were going to do an episode on... Do you know what we forgot to tell them all about? I don't know. Our gorgeous day at Saltburn. Oh, you just slapped me. In a nice way. In a nice, like, oh my god, we forgot. Exciting. So, my grandparents met Declan's parents, and we all had a day at Saltburn by the Sea, which is a lovely northern seaside town, for those of you who don't know. Um, And it was gorgeous. Actually, we went there because my granddad always wanted the crab brioche that featured on what TV show was it, where it was... Her from Bacon and Fred from... Fred from... First, First dates date. and Nadia from Bake Off. Um, and well, they obviously know what they're talking about food wise because it was delicious. Yes, it was a good day, it was lovely. Very lovely wholesome. Day. Very wholesome. Very, nice. Very loving. So, should we get into trailer trash or treasure? Or treasure? Yeah. Um, you struggle to wrap your teeth around that one, don't mm, you? The segment in which we get excited for a future film. Today's trailer we have both seen, but I really need to discuss we it. We've both seen many times. I adore it. It is of Damien. Is he Damien Chazelle? Of La La Land and First Man's Fame. Next film, Babylon. But I won't say any more. We'll pause. You'll hear a twinkle and we'll be back. Sparkle, sparkle. That trailer is literally one of my favourites in a long time. It's genius. It's so good. Like, Margot Robbie, Brad Pitt, I think Diego Calva's a newbie, who's one of the main ones, Um, Gene Smart, Toby Maguire. It's got drugs, it's got sex, it's got, like, exuberance. I I, I hate being derogatory. I almost think it's derogatory to to compare a film straight away to something else. But I would say it gives me the vibes of The Wolf of Wall Street meets The Great Gatsby. And I think I'm pretty onto it there. Mm-hmm. Well, they're both... They're both Leonardo DiCaprio, aren't they? Yeah, but he wasn't in that trailer. No, he wasn't. <laughs> Brad Pitt? He's not in that, but I guess that may be where you're getting a bit of a, a list of vibe from. Oh, am I getting the A-list vibe? Well, I don't well, know. I don't know either. I just think it looks absolutely nuts. And I think it's very clever, well, and funny and hilarious that the trailer starts with Margot Robbie snorting the stars off the Paramount logo. Is that what she does? Yeah. I didn't even clock. <laughs> um, very funny. Margot Robbie looks unhinged in this. Like, it's almost what absolutely she does for brilliant. Harley Quinn, but even better. Um and it's the movie set during the transition in the 1920s from silent films to what they're called talkies, which is sound films. Um, we're getting it, I'm hoping, in January, by the looks of it. Um, are you a La La Land fan? 
Oh, I've only seen it once and I yeah. wasn't really concentrating. And First Man, I did. That was okay. I didn't see that either. Um, Passed me by. And I've not seen Whiplash, which I've always wanted to see. That was one of his, mm. like... But what I will say, though, which you may have heard us say before, listeners, we love a film about making films. Mm. We do. We do. And he is becoming a director where I'm actually excited, like, very much in tune to what he's doing next as well for me. What's his name again? Damien Chazelle. Okay, I'm going to have to remember that name. But, he, he, yeah, he, you know, gets Oscars nominations quite a bit. Um... He's won God. how many Academy Ten Oscars? I mean, La La Land has got the famous. He didn't win Best Film. He went to Moonlight, obviously. But oh no, yeah, it was, wasn't it? Yeah, the big controversy. Um, but yeah, looks epic. Absolutely, treasure. Oh, definitely treasure. Yeah. yeah. Um, is that that segment done then? Oh, you sound like it's a chore. No, no, I'm just, you know, ticking off. Ticking off the list. Yeah, it is. Um, So, obviously, at the beginning of the episode, we talked about In From The Side, which is a new independent British rugby, queer rugby film. Um, We have got an interview coming up, which will you will hear first before we talk about our feelings on the film with director and one of the co-writers, Matt Carter. He also does the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Um, and with it being an indie film, which he will get into in the interview, he also does a lot of kind of... He was very, very heavily involved, which he would be as a director anyway, but, you know, we're talking casting, we're talking editing, we're talking putting the trailer together. Lots and lots Just of credit. so much, yeah. Matt Carter. It really yeah. is a labour of love by the sounds of it, I think. Yeah. Um, and for those avid listeners among us, you might notice Declan accidentally drop a little in-joke in towards the end of the interview. I'll say, no, I'll say no more on that, because I don't think he even realised. Um, Did I? But tweet us or comment on <laughs> some Instagram <laughs> oh, I if don't know you what spot you're talking it. About. Will you tell me after yeah. they've heard the interview? Of course I will. Okay. No, no, no. I'll just tell you off air. Oh, oh right. Okay. Don't want to give the answers. So, um... I will preface this with, it was our first time recording an interview. We think the sound quality is okay. There was a little bit of feedback in the future. One of us, we might either have to get the guest to wear headphones or we'll have to wear headphones just to kind of stop that feedback. But we have been recording it through a proper podcasting software program, so it should be okay. Basically, any teething problems... We will bear with us. We will but it is on, our but first. Thank guest. you for your understanding and patience. Yeah. So enjoy the interview with director of In From the Side, Matt Carter. Enjoy. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. 
Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. So we have Matt Carter, director of In From The Side with us now. Um, hi, Matt. How are you doing? Not too bad, thank you. Thanks for having me on. No, thank you for, for joining us. Um, where to start on this film? I guess from the beginning with where you started, you know, why this story? Um, is it a case of writing what you know a little bit, as in like rugby and, and uh, a gay rugby team? I'd say it's very much a case of writing what I know. So I've been, <laughs> in a background, I've been involved in inclusive rugby now for coming on eight years, both as sort of a player, a coach, a referee. I've played in a number of clubs and against a number of clubs. And it's it's always been a world that I thought was really fascinating. And um, there's so many sort of cultural elements to it. And I just was surprised that there really aren't any films that really explore rugby at all, really, let alone sort of at the grassroots level where I think, you know, a lot of the passion happens. Um, and so it was always something for me that I thought we really wanted to commit to film and to tell a story set in that world and then um, to, to tell a love story that's in, you know, I'm a hopeless romantic, I love love stories and I really wanted to, you know, write something that would be grounded in that in that reality um, that would, you know, be, have a more wider appeal to, so it wasn't just a sports film, but very much the rugby was the stage at, w- at which the, the drama was, was set upon. Yeah. So how long did it take from kind of initial idea all the way through then? So I, I think about uh, about five years, unfortunately, it was quite a long yeah. time. I mean, about five years ago, I said had this sort of idea that you know this guy should be quite a good film. I pitched it to a good friend of mine, who's my co-writer, Adam Silver, and said I've got this idea for a sort of a forbidden love story in a in a, in a gay rugby club. And he said I love this. Let's, let's let's continue with this. And so we spent about sort of a year and a half, two years, sort of um, on the screenplay, really refining it down, redrafting, redrafting, getting it so the story was really tight on the page. Um, and then we brought on Andrew Foyer, who's a good friend of mine, who's another producer, sort of when we thought we could take it into production. We ran a Kickstarter campaign to generate a little bit of buzz and some money for the film. Unfortunately, you know, it, with any sort of independent film, you know, I, had to, I had to put a large portion of the money in myself and as, as did the producers. And we had an investor who put some money in as well. But generally speaking, it was a very sort of low budget film. And we then took it into production, did casting. We shot it in uh, January and February uh, 2019, so pre-pandemic. Yeah. And I basically spent the, the 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 three years that followed that doing all the post production because we didn't have any money to outsource that. So I had to edit the film, spent it about seven months writing the music for it, um, and then you know it, it was a proper sort of labour of love really. And then uh, you know then we started showing it to people, and then we we got into the BFI Flare Festival, which was amazing. So you know having hometown premiere because it's a film set in London, um, and from there it kind of took off really. You know we festivals were contacting us wanting to screen the film, and then we got distribution in sort of several countries and crazy distribution you know we've been in what 60 cinemas now 60 plus mm. cinemas uh, across the uk and ireland and we've got sort of you know international australia um america coming up europe and it's just it's it's been a dream come true really it's been absolutely crazy but it has been a very long journey indeed yeah it's really interesting to see that kind of that elongated process with um kind of indie films because you know when you look at some blockbusters and how quick the turnarounds are with I'm talking really big films but then I said to you I said I bet that was filmed pre-pandemic because a lot of a lot it just takes so long doesn't Mm -hmm. it um 
tell us a bit more about that Kickstarter process then. Like, what, who got, who were you getting involved? What, why did you go down that route? I guess because it was just funding of an independent film. I think, you know, we'd seen sort of films that uh, had, you know, got a lot of money off Kickstarter. I think for us, we sort of, we got, we hit our goal, but it wasn't nearly enough to, to actually do the film. It was a very, very small proportion of the budget, but we, you know, we hoped that, you know, it might explode and become a big thing and sort of double, triple our budget, what we hoped for. But, you know, we, we hit our goal, which was great, but uh, you know, doing Kickstarter is, is very difficult. You know, you really got to kind of, it's a full-time job when you're doing it. Yeah, um, I but it, but uh, we 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 got a you know a little bit of money from for the film, which was good. It covered some of the costs we had, um, and then obviously we had to fork out the rest. I uh, got a big loan out myself, which I just paid off last week, which is brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> so, and talking about film festivals, then how how has that process been like getting it into like the the rollout of getting it into all these different film festivals do you do outreach do they come to you or is it word of mouth so so traditionally um normally you'd, you'd submit a film to a festival you'd pay an entrance fee and then you'd wait to hear back um you know that's how it sort of traditionally works I and mean, we, we've been so lucky that um it's been the other way around for us with this film once after the flare um we had a lot of festivals contacting us asking for screeners and giving us very prompt responses usually within a week or two saying we love it we'd love to program it um, you know, I just think that's a testament to the hard work that everyone put in to make the film what it is. Um, but you know, that's a, a, a by no means a, com, a common thing. You know, you, you normally have to work very hard to get into festivals, and we've been very lucky in that regard. Oh well, congrats! Yeah. yeah. Um, so I was looking at the I call it the dreaded IMDb because I always think you can't trust it um, and what <laughs> it says about people's career. But is it right that you've done the jumps from like VFX artist to director and writer? Sort of. So, I mean, I've, I've been um, I've been doing sort of photography music from a very young age, really. You know, it's, mm. that's always been something that's, that's it, it's part of my job, really, as a visual effects artist. You know, there's a lot of sort of photographic analysis and, and work, you know, you're working with images constantly. So it's not, it isn't really that big of a jump. But this, uh, you know, obviously directing a film, you know, I've done sort of short films and that sort of music video type things before. Um, but the no, majority of my, my paid work has been visual effects. Um, this is sort of the biggest sort of project I've done off, you know, outside of work as a, as a director but um you know I, I know you mean about imdb it's a the dreaded thing especially with the with the reviews we've had on imdb we've had such great reviews from sort of eight nine and ten stars and then there's a little pile of one stars which I, you can imagine the kind of people who would who would vote a film like ours one star you know um and it's a shame because it brings the score down but you know that's yeah. that's our imdb is people that want a rugby film but not a gay film maybe <laughs> <laughs> right or people who don't want a gay film of any kind you know yeah, yeah. very true yeah Talking of like gay films then and, and films in general, what what films was it that got you into films? Is there any queer films that you you know that are your absolute favourites? Um I'd say generally for film, I'm I, I you know, I love just all film, I'm like a sponge. I just I love watching all film of any kind. It's hard to sort of pick apart where certain influences have come from because I just yeah. watch historically I've watched so many films over the years. Um and you know certain directors and styles and i think i'm almost slightly more influenced by music or something you know, somewhat and maybe cinematographers because i think the look of a film is something i get drawn towards as a, as a cinematographer myself yeah. um in terms of queer films i have some that i like but I, I i generally think there's just not many i mean this is one of the reasons that I, I really wanted to make our film the way we did you know having a story that was no there was no coming out and there was no homophobia in the story at all that was a design choice right from the beginning because yeah. i think there's Every film, almost every film that's gay, is a, is one of those two. You're both, you know, coming out or a homophobia storyline or a struggle struggle for acceptance. And I think 
while those stories are important to tell, and you know, but there's plenty of people telling those stories, and yeah, like, you don't yeah. really see uh, much sort of uh, stories about the gay experience outside of that. And I think uh, once you free yourself of that and say we're not going to have any of that, all these characters are going to be self-actualized, you know, uh, or sort of or, you know trying to be their, their authentic selves, succeeding or not. Um, it, you, it frees you up a lot of time to sort of explore other things without being bogged down, and you do get bogged down with you know coming out and homophobia because they are such all-encompassing themes that it's hard to for that not to take over the story and to sort of pollute the water, so to speak. So um, in terms of sort of films that, I mean, I, I, I like everyone, I think I quite like Call Me By Your Name, probably because for the same sort of reason that it, it also didn't have much coming out or homophobia. It was very much a sort of a love story. Um, I have my issues with the film as well, but I also think it's beautiful, you know, like any like any film, but I wouldn't I wouldn't talk bad of, of any other director. Um, but uh, yeah, in terms of queer films, I think um, The Gods and Country was quite beautiful. Yeah. Um, but I mean, again, it's 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 slim pickings, isn't it? We're going back a couple of years now. It's it's a shame that there aren't you know handfuls to pick from every year. That you know we we've got a nice selection. It's literally the only f- gay films I can think of that have been out in the last ten years, really. So it's a shame, and that's one of the reasons I want you know we wanted to make this film was to sort of you know try and give something back to our community that actually sort of was a you know a bit of breath breath fresh air, really. Well, for us, we thought so. Yeah, because yeah. when you say that about when you ask people the favourite queer films, you end up saying the same few, but as you say, you only realise that that's literally all that there's been. <laughs> um, you think, if I thought, I would think Call Me By Your Name, Moonlight, God's Own Country and Pride. The only more recent yeah. one I can think of is that Netflix Christmas one last year, but that was really, really corny. Yeah, it was really corny, cool. like <laughs> a Hallmark Channel type thing, wasn't it? But yeah. I still quite enjoyed it. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I'm it, with that with that film. I, I made the mistake of watching the trailer before watching the film, and it's basically the whole film summarized in the trailer. I yeah, felt like well, I've watched the whole film. <laughs> and I watched yeah, the film. Happens. It was just a more fleshed out version of the trailer, but you know, it's that's what yeah. I hate that. There's some some studios are so good at trailers, and then others you think I may have, I've just seen the film. Thanks for that. Um, did you get any? Did you did cut you the trailer, the trailer? for? But I, I was very um, aware that I wanted to make a trailer that would um, give a flavour of the film but without and give the premise, but without giving away the details because there's a yeah. lot of on the bone in the film. There's a lot of story that happens and I didn't want to give any of that away. Um, so it's very much a kind of a the bare bones of the story with some footage, you know, and, and, and some, some hype thrown in for the measure, for good measure. And that, that was it. That was the trailer. Yeah. yeah I definitely yeah. don't think you fell into that trap of giving away too much. Um, it sold just yeah. enough to entice me. The <laughs> <laughs> trailer should want you to get you in through the door, um, but uh, just to get you in the door and that's it. Yeah. 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 So talking about some of the themes of the film, obviously we've mentioned that there isn't, well, there is no coming out. There's no struggle with homophobia. It's more kind of the internal relationships between the team and then obviously between your two leads. Um, so why why that story of kind of how would you, yeah how would you even sum it up it it's cheating it's monogamy yeah. versus non monogamy it was it was but as you say it was very refreshing to see the conversations within the gay community that 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 go past you know how did you come out it's actually how are you a gay person how are you living your life yeah yeah, yeah. Um, you know, because there is life after coming out. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of it, um, you know, and I think uh, open relationships, monogamy are such big topics in, in the gay community that, um, you know, are just completely not explored. Um, and I think, you know, for me, that's something I find very interesting. And also the sort of the lines that we, the rules that we create for ourselves in our relationships, the, you know, the 
the, the rules that we kind of live by, you know, because I think some, it's very easy with, with open relationships and um, polyamory and you know, to, to cross boundaries and for, for mistakes to happen. And, you know, a lot of people have reacted, you know, especially in the American crowd, have reacted negatively to the fact that the film, you know, one of the core themes of the film is infidelity. Um, which is what I think is very interesting from a cultural perspective. Mm. Um, but at the same time, you know, a lot of people reacted from the trailer thinking it's a film that endorses that. Obviously, when you watch the film, it's it's a, it's very much a cautionary tale as it is, you know, an exploration of it. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, it's very easy to fall in love with people who we're not meant to. And I, I, I think Forbidden Love is, is a very interesting genre, but Forbidden Love stories generally in gay films are usually because they, the, the world can't accept them for who they are. So yeah. I wanted to tell a story that was still Forbidden Love, but it's because... They both have partners and they they can't fall for each other because they, they're in this environment where it, it would be damaging to this this rugby club but also because they're both taken men i think that's quite interesting but to show it in a sympathetic way that um and it's non-judgmental we don't sort of say you know these these are bad characters but we don't say they're good either it's very much up to the audience to decide what, what they think of the actions of these characters but also to invoke and try and invite sympathy because i think we're all human we all make mistakes and we all learn from them and if yeah. we chat ourselves over the mistakes we make then we don't give anyone the opportunity to learn or grow from them so I, that was very much the the the, the sort of idea behind that storyline yeah it's it's nuanced isn't it because they are two characters that have boyfriends but and the, as you say people do make mistakes and it and it's boring to show i guess people on films that don't yeah, I mean, it, we've had a lot, a lot of the comments on the YouTube trailer was quite interesting, saying, "Oh, if, why, why do they need to cheat? Or you know, why don't they just get into a polyamorous relationship?" And I sort of like saying, "Well, well, then there'd be no story. <laughs> they meet at the end. You know, there's where's, where's the drama in that? Who wants to watch that film?" But um, you know, yeah, they, all four of them just walked off into the sun. Yeah, uh, as the last frame of the film, <laughs> well, the first year. Um, yeah. yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think it's. For me, it was quite an interesting sort of to write for these characters, you know, who who essentially are kind of you know doing something that we're infidelity and cheating and all things that we're kind of conditioned to think are very morally reprehensible. Um, but actually, we sometimes forget that people are unhappy sometimes in the relationships that they're in, um, and it's sometimes very difficult to leave a relationship um, or to sort of acknowledge the problems in your relationship. And it only takes someone else to come along who reignites that spark and kind of makes you realise what love is again for you to sometimes see that. But you know, and to, uh, yeah, like I said, to try and portray that in a non-judgmental way, but at the same time, they also don't get enough scot-free, as you know, uh, but I don't want to spoil that for anyone who's not seen the film yet. <laughs> yeah, as I say, it does it, not to get, although we do preface people that when we do put podcast episodes out, there will be some spoilers in it, so yeah. we do say to people, which I know for you, seeing as though you've been sat on this film for so long that it feels weird to, to say anything further, but yeah, it is there will be that warning at the beginning as well, won't there? Okay, that's yeah. fine. We'll try not to. We'll try not to completely destroy any <coughs> bombshells. Cool. <laughs> yeah, but it, no, it's it. I liked the complexity of how it wasn't just these two people, but it was how their relationship then affects the camaraderie within the team itself, um, yeah. because the team clearly. You know, I love I love seeing groups of gay men together on film. I think mm. it's so fun and and different groups of gay men. Like we we quite often see the stereotype of a group of of gay men. So more recently, we watched that Fire Island film, didn't we? Yeah. Which I would say was more stereotypical. But I like to see other sides. You know, you can be a gay rugby player, and it doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, I think it's some people really feel strange seeing you know they, they ask you know what was it like putting you know 
gay rugby players on screen? Is that is that a kind of a, a contradiction? I sort of find that amazing that people think that. You know, what why why is it unre- why is it so remarkable that um, gay men could play rugby? You know, gay men are men. Rugby is yeah. a sport, played by, you know, well not just played by men, but you know, often played by men. And you know, um, there's people who who are gay who come from any walk of life or any kind of anywhere on the sort of masculinity spectrum, and you know, and also rugby invites people who, you know of any kind of you know. I mean, God, if, if you if you play in any uh, sort of inclusive rugby club, you meet characters from from all sort of walks of the spectrum of masculinity. You know, it's it's some amazing, sassy, beautiful people and some sort of very macho guys, and that's that's rugby, that's the sport. But um, you know, it's I find some of the questions we get um, not from you guys, but generally on on sort of doing these kind of things with you know about the film. Uh, it says on it says speaks volumes about the people asking the questions almost more than the film itself, and more you know the, it's the expectations that are being flipped on their head and the the stereotypes that are being questioned and. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, it was very much. I really wanted to show that you know, gay men playing rugby is, is pretty unremarkable. You know, there's nothing to write home about. You know, it's it's pretty normal, and hopefully that might show to people who are considering getting into sport, not just rugby, but any sport, that actually sport is for everyone. Because I think yeah. um, as gay men, and one of there's a scene in the film that I uh, I won't mention it, but you know, it, it, there's a character who talks about you know their experience in you know in school uh, with sport, which is something I think we can all relate to. As gay men, we often have a bad time in sport, and we never we never do it again because we just think it's not for us. Yeah. And I think it could be nothing further from the truth. And I think that's why, for me, when I rejoined a, a rugby club as an adult and got back into sport, it was super transformative for my life, as it is for many people. Um, and I hope that you know if the film sh- will sort of you know show that to people, show that actually you know maybe sport is for them and that they should give it another go, and you know the well being that that can bring to people's lives. Yeah, yeah, it's a shame, isn't it? Because you get conditioned that. Yeah, you're right. And sport isn't for us. Sometimes it's, oh, why are you going to the? Well, quite a lot of gay men go to the gym, but more of the footballs, rugby's, all those kind of things. People are thinking very much the solitary sports that we're that we're encouraged to engage with. But actually, team sport is very powerful. I think you know, like I said, the the film has. Uh, if I suppose if I had to summarize the theme of the film or one of the core themes of the film, I'd say it's belonging. Or sort of, I think one of the critics referred to it as finding your tribe when they're describing. It. I quite like that phrase. Um, yeah. Because I think you know, as gay men trying to find your tribe or, or get that deep-seated sense of belonging or community is something that we uh, we struggle with sometimes. You know, and that's not necessarily our fault. That's the world we live in. But these inclusive sports clubs can really provide that in abundance, and you know, you really get to sort of feel that sense of like you have a rugby family. We use that phrase a lot in the film as well. You know, and it is like a family. Um, and I think you know, it's interesting watching these groups of gay men. You know, interacting with each other and like a family, they don't always get along, and that's kind of fascinating to watch. You know, watch the rubs as well as the kind of, uh, you know, the, the smooth parts. You know, where people get on well as well as where they fall out. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, yeah. It, I look. I, there is very much a finding your tribe kind of thing. Because, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think most most queer people can can talk about that. I mean, I moved to Leeds from a small smallish town Middlesbrough to find a group of gay friends that I've never had before you've mm. moved from Harrogate I guess yeah, for a similar reason so it it's very it's just so common um and that chosen family find your tribe kind of thing is is something that I hope gets explored more in films yeah. um yeah. I'd love to see more films like that you know hopefully, yeah. hopefully getting the mainstream release we have as uh, will encourage other filmmakers to sort of take more risks and explore this kind of subject matter yeah. So going back to the release, you've got what's next for the film. Obviously, you've had it; it'll be still out in cinemas. Do you have it in cinemas for a certain amount of time with distribution? Or 
I think like any film, you know, there's no guarantee of how long a film will be in cinemas. It's very much of, you know, uh, venues rebook week by week. And as long as people come and see, it, you know, people, as long as people buy tickets, they'll keep playing it. Yeah. You know, and as soon as it starts drying up, then they'll, they'll book other films. That's the way it is. And, you know, it's, it's impossible to predict. You know, that's why I say to people, you know, uh, go see the film now because you never know how long it's going to be in cinemas for. It might be only this week. It might be five weeks. You never know. Yeah. Uh, but following that, we've got a, a general uh, video on demand uh release in the uk in end of october so when you sort of purchase it on sky and that sort of thing yeah um, and then a dvd and blu-ray release uh november 28th in the uk and right. then europe i think uh germany austria switzerland belgium um they they've got a cinema release i think in, in november time israel's around the same time i think in australia it's end of october they're doing a um a release as part of the british film festival in, in 52 palace theaters and the, America is a bit of a wait, unfortunately. It's it's the spring when uh, it's been having its general cinema release there. And then it, the same sort of thing, you know, streaming for a month later after the release and then a DVD and Blu-ray a month yeah. after that. Well, it's about time the Americans wait a bit longer for a film because we know how <laughs> to do it, don't we? <laughs> yeah. British Revenge, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I always think, you, you know, because all the awards films start coming out in America like now up until December and then we always have to wait more January to March and you end up seeing all these amazing reactions and not so good reactions to some of them and you think oh can we see it sooner please but yeah um, yeah Yeah. so what about your leads Alex and is it Alex and Alex or Alex and Alexander how do they Uh, like to be Alex and Ali but they're Alexander as you know official kind of uh, yeah referred to in the media i suppose but um no i think for them you know that they i hope this brings them lots of success and, and they get lots of sort of roles off the back of this film you know they're both exceptionally talented actors um you know i've loved working with them and i wish them all the best really yeah how did you find like the casting experience like did you know everybody first or no absolutely i mean i, I um like anything you know we, we put out a casting call for you know uh for saying it was an LGBT film, there's, we had a lot of roles to cast, really, and there's about sort of 15 sort of speaking roles that yeah. you know, are substantial. Um, and we put our cast, you know, included saying any rugby experience would be would be amazing. And we were just so lucky that so many of the cast actually did have some rugby experience from the past, and those who didn't were able to sort of brought, brought up to speed. We kind of did a boot camp before the uh, before we started filming work for a couple of days where we got a coach in, and we sort of, you know, just got everyone to do a bit of passing drills and you know, just to kind of, just so they could feel a bit more fluent doing it on screen. And also to start building that camaraderie, you know, which I think it, it, on set, it really felt like a rugby team, really, because there was, we, we bonded, we went through difficult things. There were lots of cold shoot days, you know, it was, yeah. we all, you know, we pulled together and went through it and it did become like a rugby team. So a lot of the kind of camaraderie you see on screen was a reflection of the reality that was happening behind the camera, really. Um, yeah. And uh, the, but yeah, casting wise, we we found I think Alexander Lincoln who plays Mark first, and then we we uh, got back in potential Warrens to do some chemistry reads. So we that the, they would read against uh, Alex to see see how how they played off each other, um, and actually also um, Henry, you know, because actually really that's the second sort of un, you know second love story of the film, well un, unrequited love stories, you know, Mark's best friend in the film who's sort of obviously deeply in love with him, but it's not reciprocated. And we read Alex against potential uh, Henrys, and we found Will Hurl, who was just absolutely sensational at playing that role. You know, I mean, I'm still amazed at how he plays the, the he goes into drunk mode when he sort of spins us off around a few times. And, and I, I, I swear he must have been drinking on set because he was so convincing. <laughs> I was like, let's say to the production, production man, just like, is he actually drinking? Or is, 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 and then he just snap out of it and be completely sober. And we thought, he's a sensational actor. And so that, that that's how we found our, you know, Alexander King and, and Will Hurl through those sort of chemistry reads and, 
Um, and then we cast the rest of the, the cast a similar sort of way, you know, just sort of getting to read scenes from the film. And it was a long process, you know, because we had a long, lot of parts to, 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 yeah. get to get to try and divide the work amongst ourselves, me and the other two producers, uh, um, Adam Silver and uh, Andrew Fora, you know, it was a yeah. sort of work. I, and I bet that chemistry read was something that was, you know, yeah. so important, especially with some of some of the scenes that those two get into in the film. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. their, their chemistry is what, you know, keeps the film together, really, in the sense that, you know, if their chemistry didn't work, the film wouldn't work because we have to believe in their love story. And yeah. we're just so lucky that we found two actors who just pulled it off so well. Yeah. So how long was the shoot then? And did you film it? And obviously the film is set in London, but were you filming in London primarily? Uh, pretty much all the filming was done in London, apart from the France shoot, where we actually went to location um, out in the French Alps to shoot that section. Oh, yes, uh, yeah. But the film is mostly set, set in South London, but actually we filmed a lot of it in North London rugby clubs uh, because the, just the, depth, the, the the way that rugby clubs are set up, there's a lot of council-owned ones in the South and they're quite hard to get permissions for, whereas a lot of privately-owned ones in the North that are desperate for money and will do anything to, for us to, support, <laughs> you know, to, to get a tiny bit of cash, so they were much more helpful to us. Um, but no, the film was project, you know, predominantly set in London. Even though the parts in Cardiff that's supposed to be there are all shot in London. And I, <laughs> I went up to Cardiff for the day to shoot a bit of B-roll just to kind of edit between it to set, to set the, where the location is supposed to be. But the whole film was very much shot in London, yes. Well, and how long was the shoot? Oh, sorry, yes. Um, we shot from January to, through to the end of February in 2019. So it was just uh, about two, two months in total. Oh, it feels really quick. It was quick. It was it was breakneck. I, really, I would love to have had a bit more time, but again, that's the problem with low budget filmmaking. You know, you only have a the big costs for for that are filming, yeah. filming, you know, feeding people and paying for sort of crew and uh, locations. And you know, so you don't have if, if, if you're paying for a location for one day and you have two days, that's double the cost. And so yeah, our budget down. We had to just be very economical in the way we shot. Um, and you know, we had a lot of extras on on set, which were luckily, I mean, like from you know. Uh, a film like ours is not one that's easy to try and make on a low budget with big crowd scenes and big sort of rugby, you know, uh, sideline, you know, spectators and things. But luckily, I, had, I know loads of people from different rugby clubs who, uh, you know, all chipped in and helped out. Uh, but they all needed feeding as well, you know, and, and food is one of the biggest costs you end up spending on a film. You know, got to keep everyone fed while they're there. Uh, so yeah, we, that's why we had quite a, such a short shoot, really. You don't, you don't think of how much films cut. Like when you hear your budgets of some really big films you think god how has it even cost that but then when you actually hear the breakdown and production and it, it, i can imagine how quickly it can escalate well to give you one example which is the sort of the funny funniest and actually led to something quite nice uh, sort of budget story so for the christmas scene um there was a track that we really wanted uh sort of a, a sort of semi-famous well very famous sort of christmas track and we tried to license it and the figure they gave us back was about equal to the entire amount of money we spent on the film just for one, just for the use of one song. And, and I felt I was sort of mortified that we couldn't use it, but I thought I really wanted something like an old sounding Christmas track to, to play over this sort of contemporary love story to make it sort of feel timeless. Yeah. So I set about basically trying to write and record a vintage sort of seventies sounding Christmas track. So I listened to a lot of Phil Spector back catalog to figure out what it is that makes them sound that way. And using lots of vintage microphones and some tape deck recorders and things, just recorded this this Christmas song, and the you know, the aim was that people would listen to it and go, I don't think I've heard that one before, and like, but not twig that it was written for the film, but just to think that it was a, a, a bygone Christmas track that passed them by, and a lot of people sort of said, well, who, who performed that Christmas track? Like, well, I, heard that one. <laughs> and it, it, we, I think it exactly did what we wanted it to, which is brilliant. But um, that all came through necessity of the fact that you know it was so expensive to to get the track we actually wanted that. 
it ended up being easier just to make one ourselves. But that's a very good segue. It's like through my head. So you you've done the music for the film as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've I sort of musical background, so um, I, my parents forced me to play piano from a young age, which I hated at the time, but I'm very grateful of it now. Uh, <laughs> and I taught myself so guitar at university, um, and I'm just I'm a bit of a kind of a geek when it comes to sort of sound design and music generally. I love sort of trying out new instruments and playing with sounds, you know, like bowing a guitar or I taught myself violin and viola over, over lockdown because I really wanted some like really nice string textural stuff. And I wanted this soundtrack to have lots of live performance in it. Um, we had an amazing cellist who I, I brought in uh, um, to do some of the live parts for, for the film. Um, and yeah, I even, even had to sing myself over the, over the closing, uh, closing credits track. Just we wrote that, that was my right. next question. We were like, track and that's me singing on it. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a lot of work to sort of, you know, that was a good sort of seven or eight months, uh, sort of writing, um, about an hour and hour and 15 minutes worth of uh, music plus some original songs for the film. Um, but I, you know, for me, and that was a very rare, you know, most directors, um, well, if, if they are, if they are musical, they don't get the opportunity to do that just for, like for time constraints and things. But it was very special to me to be able to ha- have the opportunity to do that, uh, even if it was, a, you know, because of we, we couldn't afford a composer. Um, but it, I think music really adds something to the, the story. It's a serious, big level of storytelling that you're slapping on top of just the narrative that you can really manipulate an audience. So manipulate is maybe the wrong word, but maybe not, actually, because you, know, you, are, you are sort of crafting how you're sort of through through music telling the audience how how to feel and help making them feel things through the, the music that's been played and and that level of authorship uh, is is something quite rare to be able to have as you know as both the cinematographer director and to be able to write the music it felt like a very personal film at the end of it having done that um and i'm not sure i'll get the opportunity again you know on a future film so I'll, it was quite important to me to try and do the best i could with that really yeah i remember what i did a as level music i remember some of it was movie music and we like they they did this exercise where they put different music over scenes to just make mm. you feel a different and it's so obviously you're aware of music and that we love movie soundtracks mm. but you don't realize the fit it does manipulate you into how you're meant to be feeling especially when you think it's of so horror. Specific, you know yeah. um, i mean we did the exact same exercise when i was at university in cinematography um sort of class where you know they would play different music same scene with different music and you can make it a comedy or you can make it horror or you can make it sort of a romance in same scene, just with different music. And yeah. in some ways, that, that's that's the challenge with music is you know when you're writing a piece for a scene, uh, you can change some things and it can totally ch- change the way the scene feels. And then you know a lot of times I'd write a piece and I'd go down a certain certain creative route with something and think I, I don't think this is actually the right feel for it, and I'd scrap mm-hmm. it and start again. Or you know you're trying to craft it in a, a, a fine fine tuning emotions almost. It's very it's very kind of weird um, esoteric kind of process when you're making music you know the this this you know going actually i'll throw this instrument in a way pull that down the way you mix it and you're you're it's like alchemy you're kind of really playing with it's like poor, a little bit more sadness a little bit more yeah. you know, <laughs> to create this kind of this thing that um that makes the film the scene feel the way it does um and i love it i mean i i absolutely love doing music and it was an absolute joy to do on this film oh cool well i think other than just one last question that's pretty much it all i wanted to say was obviously congratulations on the film we really enjoyed it and what's next for you so i've got a couple of ideas in the pipeline i've got a script that actually i wrote before we actually shot him from the side that i need to go back and do some rewrites for um again something completely different um you know i'd I'd love to explore different genres of film you know um i think everyone's expecting him from the side too (laughs) which i think (laughs) weight of expectation on that if i did do that would be you know how would you keep everyone happy because everyone would have a different idea of what that would be 
but I'd love to explore some completely different things and go in some different directions and uh, really sort of stretch my sort of uh, creative juices a bit in, in, in other directions. Do you think the film, films would always have some kind of queer undertone to it or completely different? I I would be surprised if they didn't. I mean, I think um, I, I love that, you know, Jordan Peele's what, what he does with sort of having people of colour in his films almost exclusively. And I said, if, if I could be the gay Jordan Peele, that'd be, I, I'd be happy with that. I think, you know, I, I You've got, to, you've got to tell the stories that no one else will tell. And I remember, you know, when we started writing from the side, I said, no one else is going to be, uh, no one else will tell the story and no one else can tell the story. Because I think, you know, you have to, to try and tell an authentic story set in the, the world of rugby and do it authentically. You have to kind of live that life a little bit. I don't think uh, it's something you can sort of just research and, and you know, give a go at writing it. And if you do, it's, it'll, it'll completely read that way. So I think, you know, I'd like to tell stories that um, I feel like I connect to and I feel that, would, you know, would be good for our community that, that no one else could make or would make. You know, I don't want to just do, I mean, I wouldn't say no if, if uh, Disney wants me to do a Marvel movie, but um, <laughs> who wouldn't say no? But um, I think I, I would love to kind of write more sort of interesting and authentic uh, gay, queer and gay characters um, because I think that's, you know, we're still sorely lacking really genuine, interesting representation on screen. Yeah, yeah. people with a bit of depth. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Films that pass the know, Vito Russo, Russo um, <laughs> as we call it. Um, but yeah, well, thanks very much, Matt. Really appreciate chatting to us. Yeah, if you need Thank any ideas for in from the side too, then you know. What <laughs> <laughs> Is that your dreams that you had after the film? That's probably what your oh, thought. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. Good speaking to you. So that was the interview. That was the interview. Um, very insightful. I think we did quite well. I will pat ourselves on the back for our first No, I was just going to congrat- congratulate, no, compliment you on your interview hosting style. Thank you. Um, what I did like is, I think with the film, and what I will reiterate about one of my favourite things about the film, is there's no homophobia. There's no coming out, which, as we discussed in the interview, are important themes, but there's a lot more to queer life yeah, than that. Yeah, and actually, interestingly, I often... I've had a think about stuff like that in the past, about how there's always something to do with um, coming out or homophobia, and usually the people that are complaining about it, I think, are straight people who don't really get it and they, they feel like it pulls the vibe down but I feel like I've learned something after this interview because I yeah I can get it now from also a perspective of my own mm. just based on what Matt was saying yeah about it being a conscious decision not to include coming out and homophobia so you can see that there is life after coming out for one um and that homophobia isn't the only thing that shapes people's gay experience. And how different gay experiences can be. You know, yeah. it's not one singular type of experience. Yes, there's the community, yeah. but there's also communities within that community. Yeah. Um, just like there is in any sector of society, I yeah. guess. Not all gays look the same, and no. not all gay rugby players look the same. And it is important, I think, for films like this to be made to, to diversify that outlook for people that aren't queer, because... Yeah, I think the it's almost like self fulfilling the stereotypes because people think it, 
and then there's loads of films with those stereotypes in and it just mm. goes round and round and round. So kind of showing this more than one experience mm. um, I think is very important. So that was interesting. Um, it was interesting to hear about kind of what it's been like for film festivals and getting them into film festivals and different releases in different yeah. countries. Um, and it was quite funny to hear that the Americans were reacting quite badly to the themes of infidelity in the film as if it was promoting it but as Matt said in the interview it's very much more well this is what happened like people make mistakes people fuck up basically and it's okay for people to do that he also started by saying that they were the trailer reactions so obviously people aren't getting the whole storyline from the trailer yeah which I must say probably did cross my line my mind before we'd seen the film was like, oh, look, another infidelity film, but then watched it, much better. Like, way more nuanced, a lot more depth to it. Um, yeah. 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 There was a lot, there was a lot to kind of, there was a lot of nuance in there. I can understand people's concern about infidelity in a gay film because there is somewhat a damaging stereotype that, um, queers can't have like happy and I do this in uh, inverted commas normal relationships yeah. from the eyes of the straight people but I always um, think straight people have those same experiences well, yeah. but just don't admit it yeah but because they're not talking about it they're filled with shame about it yeah. and then they direct that shame in unhealthy ways towards gays because they can openly associate infidelity with gay people Yeah. so that's where I can understand people's concern, but I do think I would recommend everybody watch films such as this, where, yeah, it is there and it's talked about, um, but it's done in such a way that it's non-judgmental, um, it understands how and why it happens, um, and it kind of lets you decide how you feel about it rather than telling you how to. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It does very much so. Um, not to be like really basic, but the men are fit as well. So, like, easy on the Enjoy eyes. it. Mm. Um, it's. And not in a stereotypical way either. Diverse body types, diverse senses of humour and style, and they're all still fit. Fit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> It yeah we'll kind of leave it at that because as we touched in the interview we don't really we have touched on some kind of spoilers but not a lot and we kind yeah. of want to encourage people to go out there and support independent queer British cinema for sure yeah definitely it's and a, like Matt said do it in the next couple of weeks because you never know how long the cinemas are going to keep it in for yeah and it has been amazing how wide of a release a film of this. Yeah. kind of budget has got yeah. but it's really good for it to be supported so you know if we want to see more films like this yeah. go out and see this one yeah. um you know if you're a rugby gay rugby team mm. if you're a straight rugby team go yeah. see it um have a nice social night going to see it yeah. it should still be in cinemas whilst when this episode goes out um, so. and he also mentioned that once it's cinema release it is over it'll be you know able you'll be able to stream it and pay for it over stream did you get to write the dates down or not 
I thought no. you wrote the date. I thought you were writing those down as he was saying it. No. No. September, I think he said. No, we're in September. October. Later in the Re- year. Rewind the episode yeah. and find that. <laughs> You'll hear it. But um, there'll be a streaming release where you can pay yeah. for it to download it. And then obviously there'll be a further yeah. DVD and Blu-ray release further down the line. But yes, yeah. if you, you'll hear those dates in the interview. We just can't recall them right now. Yes. Um, I think that's everything. Yeah, I mean, all yeah, cr- absolute credit to to Matt for making such a film on such a stretched budget. It's taken him what five years? Did he say from yeah. start to finish? Um, and having met him, I can really see kind of how much of himself he kind of put into the creation of of those characters oh, it's an and those storylines. So, yeah, really worth seeing um, and worth supporting our fellow queer content creators. Yeah. Okay, shall we uh, close out the episode? Yeah. Oh, I've forgotten how. <laughs> and that's all for this time. If you have enjoyed this episode of Gaze on Film, please subscribe, rate and comment on your podcast platform of choice. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We are at Gaze on Film Pod. Uh, we'd love to hear all of your thoughts, so please do feel free to drop us a message or leave comments on any posts or the like. Um, I've been Ned. And I've been Declan. And this has been Gaze on Film. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.